Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Hi everybody, welcome along. It's another big year on the V8 Sleuth podcast for 2020. This is a special edition. We've got some news to announce and some things to look at relating to the Bathurst 12 hour. I'm Aaron Noonan. Welcome aboard for another big year. Along the table for me is Will Dale. Welcome back, Will. We're good to go for season two of the podcast. We really are. We've got a lot of exciting stuff to come this year and I can't wait. We're going to start though with a special edition. Sorry. Special edition. <laughs> yes, Bruce. The Bathurst 12 Hour is a race that we love dearly. It's got so much history. It's got so many great things about it. And this is actually not part of our podcast series for the year. This is a one-off to get us warmed up. This is this is like preseason. This it's kind is of like our, the 12 Hour itself. It's the, it's, yeah. the, 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 it's the unofficial start of the season. It's the AFL training game, not quite for premiership points for us, but it's just getting us in the mood and getting us rolling. So... We've got some news to announce today. Let's just fire straight into it. On this special edition, we can announce a special publication new project. We're doing a book on the first 10 years of GT racing in the Bathurst 12-hour. Richard Crail, who is the 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 voice voice of the 12-hour. Yeah, he's the voice of the 12-hour, isn't he, for so many years. Um, He's editing it and contributing. Um, We're contributing an amazing photo library. Andrew Hall, Dirk Kleinsmith, some of the great shots from over the years a photo of every car from every year's race, including the cars that didn't start. It'll be over 400 cars, plus a chapter on each year's race, plus more imagery, plus more statistics. It will be the Bible of the 12-hour from the 10 years that it's really come ahead in leap and bounds. Mm, Absolutely. The last 10 years of racing in that event, you've seen it go from a handful of GT cars racing each other at the front of the field to... The best part, you look at the field this year, there's maybe 20 cars that can potentially win that race. And they're all top line entries from all different manufacturers, from teams from around the world, with drivers from around the world. It's grown up into an amazing event. It's brought international drivers that have resumes to our track that we otherwise would not have got to see here in the 1000 or the Mm. 6 hour or, or any other event. Why we're really excited about this book is because it's going to have all the features that I guess people come to expect from our books. It's the the photo of every car. It's the thing you can't get anywhere else. It'll be a limited edition, about 320-odd pages, hardcover, uh, $99.95. So we've kept it under that $100 (laughs) bracket, which is a great thing for a collectible book. If you want to get your pre-order in, make sure you don't miss out because we do limited runs of books and we we don't do them willy-nilly in terms of big mass bulk numbers like you see big publishers do. Once Um, they're gone, they're gone. Once they're gone, they're gone. Head to our website, v8sleuth.com. Click on the store tab at the top. It'll take you to the online store where you can put your pre-order in and make sure that you are locked in. We would expect, of course, it'll have the 2020 field and cars and race in the book. So we've got to wait for the race to happen (laughs) this year. Uh, So we would expect the book to be out somewhere around June, July in the middle of the year. So get your order in. You won't miss out and you'll make sure that it turns up in your post box and you can flick, flick, flick right through it and keep flicking because there's heaps of pictures and heaps of memories, heaps of awesome cars to have a look at. And when we talk about awesome cars, Will, we talk about the 12-hour we have to give a mention to our mates at the National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama. At the moment, 
up until the six hour at Easter, uh, they've got a special 12 hour exhibition and some of the cars there are awesome. Like it's a trip down memory lane of some of the great winning cars from the great exciting finishes at Mount in in the 12 hour and also the 24 hour. Yeah, so the 12 hour cars on display, I guess the first one that springs to mind that's there, it will be leaving straight after this year's 12 hour event. So we're recording this pod uh, and, and publishing it in the week of the 2020 race. So you've only got a few days. If you heard this after the race, Sorry, Sorry, it's too late. Last year's winning Porsche that Matt Campbell drove to that stunning fight through to win the race in the closing laps. Uh, it's been bought by an Aussie, Paul Tresider, and it's in the livery that it ran in uh, at Bathurst last year. It's part of the display, but it will be leaving straight after the event. So, uh, But there's still some really cool cars there to head up there and see over the next few months. Um, the McLaren, the techno car that won the race in 2016. And has just been put back into that uh, that livery that it carried when it won the race. Shane Van Gisbergen, Jonathan Webb, uh, Alvaro Parent, the Portuguese driver. Of course, that was the year that the car conked. It, it, it stopped. <laughs> they, they had a reset moment for, what, nearly a minute on pit straight. Yeah. It was Larco spec. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And that was the same car that Van Gisbergen just kept lowering and lowering the outright GT lap record through practice. I think he left it at a 202. Which at the time had our heads spinning. A two now is nothing. But (laughs) at the time it was, whoa. And of course, Techno won the 12 hour with the McLaren. It's a 650S. They won the Supercar 1000 later that year with Will Davison and Jonathan Webb. I reckon the only team that could achieve that double in the future is Triple Eight. Oh, for sure. Could theoretically do it this year but you also think that John O'Webb is the only driver and only team owner to have won both events in the same year as well that's a remarkable feat well Jamie Winkup could technically join that crew remember he is a shareholder now of Triple Eight Race Engineering so it's not uh, the same as Roland getting behind no no. (laughs) I don't think anyone would let him do that that's certainly for sure um other cars on display at the National Motor Racing Museum as part of this exhibition um there's also the 2013 winning Erebus Mercedes SLS AMG that Bernd Schneider drove to victory there. It's back in that amazing black with the yellow um, highlight livery mm. that Erebus carried. I mean, that SLS, the gullwing doors. Of course, the Merc GT cars have moved on since then to, to newer and, and greater things. But when that thing turned up in Australian GT and worldwide GT racing... It's got that throaty, thumping roar. Absolutely. And it's front engine, yeah. and it's got going doors. Tick, tick, tick. Yeah. I still remember the first time I saw one of those cars at Homebush in 2012 with Bern Schneider there. It was, yeah, fantastic. Never forget that. So that car is part of the display. There's a replica of the Audi R8 that won the race in 2011, uh, the first of the GT era uh, races. And remember, I think the real car was actually written off. Yeah, and the, the fact that it's a replica yeah. as the original is not really in a presentable <laughs> condition. There's a couple. We've found the history of a lot of these cars. We will include the winning car histories in our Bathurst 12-hour book. Make sure you pre-order a copy via our website. Click on the store link. Uh, but it's boom or bust. I mean, when we've had a quick look at some of these cars, they either get written off because these cars don't um, tend to get... Uh, farmed out quickly they have long lives because that's what they're built to do yeah. they either get written off in a gonski or they are celebrated as a 12-hour winning car and park like the nissan gtr that won in 2015 that's it that's never raced again yeah. and they wheel it out at their nismo festivals in japan 
as it ran at Bathurst, and they've never touched it since, or or raced it, or modified it, or, or changed the colours. Yeah, I think only a handful of people have driven, have had the chance to drive that car since, including I think Caruso drove Michael Caruso I think drove he did, it. Yeah, and, when he uh, went to Japan. Yeah, and Katsumasa Chio, who drove the car to victory in that mm. in that race, actually wheeled it out last year. He wheeled it that day yes, in 2015, yes, he heading did. up Mountain Straight. Uh, also at the National Motor Racing Museum for the 12-hour exhibitions, range of other cars, uh, a Bentley Continental mm. GT3. That's the car that David Brabham and John Bow and Pete Edwards drove uh, a couple of years ago. It wasn't one of the factory-run M-Sport cars. It was a privateer car that Maranello ran, which is a little bit strange for a team to be so connected to Ferrari <laughs> to end up with one of those... Yeah. British Bentleys. What, what a car those Bentleys oh, are as well. They're ace. The car, and the car been, that should not be a race car but and, somehow is. And all, of all of the brands that have been regular competitors in the 12-hour in the GT era, they're pretty much the only one that hasn't won it. They've been there and thereabouts yeah. a lot of times and just, yeah, just hasn't fallen their way. Not yet, but you yes. never know. You never know. Uh, there's also one of those Fiat 500s. Remember those? <laughs> From the yes. Invitational class, I think it was about 2014, there was Three, three of them. Of them. A bunch I didn't realise Matt Campbell was in one of them. Matt Campbell drove yeah. one of those Fiats. He's come a long way since then, just quietly. <laughs> yes, he has. Uh, but did, you know what? Those things were lapping the mountain in times faster than a GDHO Phase 3 in the 70s did. The and ultimate muscle the car. And they had to do the <laughs> chase. Oh, Shocking, um, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It blows your mind. Yeah. Uh, one of the BP uh, RX, in fact, there's one of the Mazda RX-7s from the production car era. This of is the cool. 12-hour. I loved those cars as a kid. Yeah, it's actually the Mark Scaife pole-sitting car from the 94 12-hour, I'm told. It's it's road-registered, so it's driven on the road. <laughs> I, I haven't been to the display to see, but I think it's in plain colours. But it is the car that Mark drove to pole. I think it's spectacularly uh, expired. Blew a turbo on the way up the mountain and then just... Smoke itself yeah, out. Yep, yeah. that was the one. That was the one. Uh, there's also one of the um, – oh, the other thing that's there too, the Melrose, the only supercar mm. to ever compete in the 12-hour. Huh? Yes. What yeah. do you mean? Melrose brought uh, an ex-GRM Commodore. He took it overseas to do a bunch of endurance racing and managed to get it entered as an invitational car at the 12-hour four or five years ago. Mm. Um, sequential box, bef- you know. Yeah, that, All that the good bits the period, you'd switch out. That car in the period didn't run one. In fact, yeah. that chassis um, did a lot of racing with, with GRM over the years. It's mm. in the display at the National Motor Racing Museum, so that's one to check out. Um, there's also the Team Bathurst Team Subaru that was a class winner in the production car era as well. Um, and we talked about the 24-hour, not the 12-hour, different race, different history, but I think in the minds of the fans, they're connected in a way because yeah. when the 24-hour was on, the 12-hour was asleep. It wasn't mm. a thing. So the two 24-hour winning Monaros are also part of that exhibition as well. Got to wonder, how many times would those two cars have been together since? They can't be that ma- since they finished racing. Yeah, not much. No. Not much because the red car has been, the 2003 winning Monaro has been to the National Motor Racing Museum on display. Mm. Uh, it was part of it being on display that a lot of people on social media <laughs> said, hang on a minute, the flag's wrong on the window. And they Why had to is Murph an Aussie? Exactly. Well, he lived here for a long time. Mm, true. Uh, and the yellow car, of course, the GRM. Both cars were GRM built and run. Mm. Uh, Nathan Pretty, Steve Richards, Garth Tanner, Cam McConville, um, that car also on display. So it's a cool yeah. display. The National Motor Racing Museum, it's, of course, at the bottom of uh, Conrod Strait uh, at Mount Panorama. Go and see Brad Owen and the whole team there. They are fantastic bunch of people that run the National Motor Racing Museum. Follow them on Facebook because they're always posting 
about the cars that are coming in or out or upcoming displays or exhibitions. And they stock V8 Sleuth products too. So if there's any of the books of our range that you can't get anywhere else, they might have some stock left on them. Holden at Bathurst, Ford at Bathurst, go and have a talk to those guys. And uh, if you're driving through Bathurst during the year, pop in it's yeah. a great place to get lost for an afternoon and really wander is. around if you love if you love cars if you love bikes as well that because of course yeah. mount panorama has a rich history in motorcycle racing a lot of amazing two-wheel machines in there as well hey we've got so many things that spring to mind when i think of the 12 hour but we're reminded of the first 12 hour every day here in the office because we have a piece of memorabilia <laughs> that's a bit weird it's a bit quirky you you wouldn't think that's what it is when you look at it no so in our offices, and what we should do, we'll take a photo of this piece of memorabilia and we will post it on our social media pages. It's the in-car sponsor board from the Peter Brock, Neil Crompton, Peter McKay uh, V6 Commodore from the 1991 12-hour, the first 12-hour, hmm. um, when it was just getting started, small field, um, I think 25 cars or thereabouts. Yeah. And this is a little piece of memorabilia that came into my hands via Neil who um, had it in his office, and I spotted it one day. I thought, that's so cool. That's, <laughs> yeah. I knew what it was. Yeah. Obviously, when we say the sponsor board, we mean for the in-car camera that is sat up on the dashboard on the passenger side with the sponsors of the car and the period and the team. Yeah. And, and he said there's a really funny story behind it because, of course, in those days, the 12 hours started in absolute pitch black. It was really dark. That time of year at Easter, a start, I think, from memory. So it was dark for the first couple of hours of the race. Yeah, it was dark. They had a problem. If it's dark and you've got a sponsor board on your dashboard, you can't see the damn thing. Yeah. So from memory, Brock was starting the race, which he drove the lion's share because he was Brock. Crompton had done all this deal to put this whole car together with Sutton's and a bunch of sponsors. I think it was the Tony Scott Bridgestone Proddy car from the year before that he'd actually bought himself from memory. Yeah. We'll have a chat with him about it one day, I'm sure. One day. But they sat on the grid there and thought, oh, this is a nightmare. We can't see any sponsors until the sun comes up. That's two or three hours of coverage that's out the window, potentially. Especially when the TV is going to be using the in-car cameras a fair it's bit. Brock. Because it's, it's Brock. Hey, it's Bathurst. It's Brock. It's Bathurst. And it's the only way to see the track lit. <laughs> yeah. And it was Brock's first Bathurst in a Commodore since 87. Yes. Remember, he'd been in Sierras and BMs. So Crompton thought, hang on. So he popped open the... Um, the glove box. The glove box. Yeah. Well, what do you know? It's got a light in it. It lit up. And what do you know? This piece of... Um, it's like PVC like plastic. PVC thing. plastic yeah. perspex thing with the stickers on it, wedged perfectly in the gap <laughs> with the back lighting. If you go and look at the tape, I'm sure it's somewhere on YouTube yeah. and we wouldn't, of course, condone copyright breaches of any kind. Uh, you'll find it somewhere. Yeah. And that sponsor board sits in our office <laughs> and Crompton says that Brock thought it was the best thing ever. He was giggling like a schoolboy on the grid <laughs> that Crompton had come up with this little solution to give their sponsors a, a run. And we've got that um, small little piece from that car that sits here in our office at V8 Sleuth, which Neil very kindly said, oh, You'll like this. You have it. So it lives, we're the custodians of it here at the V8 Sleuth office. Probably thinking of that production car era, if you think back to the Easter period, it started slow, but it got good quick. Oh, really? Because the next year the manufacturers came in with Mazda and 55 cars and um, cars of all sorts. And of course, what do you know? (laughs) A ute. One of those manufacturers that came on board 
like boots and all in the race was Holden, of course, and they had as probably their outright effort one of the Group A VNSS Commodores that Peter Fitzgerald ran in Goodyear colours. And that car's still around too, mm. just quietly. Mm. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars. Unforgettable. But the one that probably attracted more attention was the car that had Alan Grice, Brad Jones, and I think well, John Spencer. Yeah, John Spencer, who was a Holden test driver mm. at Lang Lang. It wasn't a car. No. It was a ute. Yes. <laughs> and a Kubra ute, of all things, which got so much PR and attention. And I reckon a lot of our V8 Sleuth followers, there might be some people out there, they did a Kubra ute money boxes. Do you remember yeah, those? I've got Cardboard? One. Oh, I had one. Yeah, I, don't I think, think I, I had anymore. one somewhere. Yeah. It's been crushed many years ago. Of course, ute racing's just normal now because yeah. there was a series in what? 2001 onwards, the V8 Brutes started. Which, of course, Grassy was in. And Grassy was in it. And With a Kubra sponsorship yeah, again. Funnily enough. Um, the Super Utes, of course, have been the, the modern equivalent of those, and they changed this year. But you can date it back to Grassy racing those. I know there was some pickup racing of the era and that yeah. sort of stuff, but that's the one that everybody remembers. Absolutely. And no, he didn't have the dogs in the back. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think he did. No. Well, not for that part of it. No. But Holden always found a way to get involved in the 12-hour, and they mixed it up a bit later on, didn't they? Yeah. So f- they went from entering a ute to a station wagon. So they were just covering off anything but a sedan. Yeah, which is sensible. Like, if you want to promote your product in a different and a way that'll grab attention. Yeah, and Holden had supported the 12-hour when it came back. Mm. Remember that they had Astras? They had an all-female team that Leanne mm. Tander and Sam Reed uh, were part of. And then, yeah, they wheeled out the wagon and ran out of brakes in the first year and it headbutted the fence up at turn two. But they spec'd it up in the years that followed to turn it into effectively HSV, sort of sport wagon, Jeez. I guess it was. Um, Andrew Jones drove it, Russell Ingle drove it one year, Cam McConville, hmm. Nathan Pretty's a Holden Motorsport regular. Um, cool car, it's still around too. Um, I'm pretty sure Peter Altman, the Holden dealer in Adelaide, has ended up with that car because he ran it at the Motorsport Festival over there. Ah, a couple of years ago. Okay. So, very interesting car. It did end up with a podium in the 12-hour after another car was excluded. But I reckon there's a few stories that haven't been revealed about that wagon. Mike in Henry, any form of production car racing, there are yeah. always stories to be revealed. Mike Henry, who, of course, is a, a top-line engineer, formerly team manager at Holden Racing Team. He's been with the guys at Sonic Motor Racing for many years. He ran that car um, for Holden and Simon McNamara. So, one day... We will ask Michael <laughs> some stories about that car. But when you think about the GT era, Will, I guess the thing that springs out to you, we talked about this off air before mm. we started the podcast, When you and we don't want to turn this into a preview podcast, but mm. if you look at the cars that win the 12-hour, there's a common thread in the GT era. They're all fast down the straight. You, pre- you can look at the trap speeds on Thursday and have a fair idea of what cars are going to be the chief contenders. You think back to 2015 with the Nissan GTR, that thing blew everyone else away in a straight line and that's what helped it in that late shootout to actually get to the front of the field. You think back to that dice between Jamie Wincup and Shane Van Gisbergen at the end of the 2017 race. I think about them on the grass down Conrod earlier exactly, in the day. Exactly. And the reason that they were on the grass was because Shane knew that 
he had to really defend strongly Dan Conrod because Wincup's Ferrari was an absolute rocket ship. It sort of harks back to the old days of the GTHO Falcons and the Tiranas, the, the big Falcon having the big engine and all the horsepower to get down the straight, and that'll win, that's what'll win, generally win you the day at the 12-hour. That is a good point because the thread is there. That, mm. I mean, there's been times where... I just remember that Audi's won the first few years, but we haven't really seen an Audi mm. contend deeply for the win or, or obviously win. There's been a few years that the BOP probably didn't work out for them and they just weren't fast. Always quick across the top. Never quick down the straight. Yeah. And that's what leaves them vulnerable in that compressed field, safety car in the last mm. 10, 20, 30 minutes and it's game on, elbows out and everyone's getting stuck into it. But the thing that springs into my mind that's never happened in the GT era, but this happened in the production era, and there's probably three eras of the 12-hour. There's the mm. Eastern, Easter era, 91 yep. to 94. Yes, the race went to Eastern Creek for one year, but then it died. Yeah. was dead for many years. Then it came back in 2007 and ran as a production car race until the GT cars were introduced in 11. There were still production cars for a few years, but as the years ticked by, the GT cars became a, a bigger part of the field. That BMW that had previously won the race circulated for a long time. The 335, time. it yeah. did so many 12 hours. <laughs> it's in the book about 900 times that we're doing at the moment, from a car from every year. Yeah. You'll see the evolution of that car through time as well. And I think, now that I think about it, one day we should probably do a production car era version of the 12-hour mm. book. We're doing the, the GT era to cover off the 10 years of GT racing because it's it's current, it's going to have all the, the great cars in it, uh, it connects to current partners and sponsors. Uh, but I think one day we should sit down and do the Prodi car era because there's some really cool cars to do. But of all those years, of all those races, there's only one year where we had to stop the race <laughs> because there was a tree. On the track, you on think, Conrad Strait. Do you remember that? Uh, you think of all the racing that's happened to Mount Panorama, happened at Mount Panorama over the years. How has that never happened before? Well, there's a lot of trees yeah. around Just the track. Just ask Johnson. Yeah, he found them. Mm. Um, 2010, I think it was off the top of my head, or, or 9 or 10, it was around there. And in those days, the 12-hour didn't have live coverage like it does now. It was a post-produced television two- or three-hour package so we were up there. I was working on the broadcast at the time, and there was this very strange call <laughs> over the radio. Uh, this vision flashed up of an alpha parked on Conrod, barely visible. This mammoth tree had collapsed just on Conrod at the kink. As you just turned on a Conrod, there's that tiny little kink where mm. the Bathurst Light Car Club um, club rooms are to the left, and there it was. Luckily, no one hit it, or it yeah. fell as someone was driving under it. That's so, so lo lucky, as uh, you said. But it stopped cars at the top of the mountain to the point where drivers are on the radio to their crews saying, well, what happened? <laughs> There's a tree across the track. Oh, so it's blocked. Yep. You're going to have to park it at the top of the mountain. Oh, what am I going to do? There were, there were guys who went, I need to go to the toilet. Can I just go to the toilet block across it? <laughs> there are even some of the local Bathurst competitors who are in proddy cars who they knew mates hanging around, so they just went and talked to their mates for 45 yeah. minutes to pass the time. So brings up weird things, Bathurst, no matter what format or what race it is, but a tree across the track. Uh, I'm not sure that that's in the betting market that anyone could offer for that race ever again. No, and... Thinking back to the 92 race, I remember watching that as a kid and during the coverage they said, so the race meeting's run out of fuel. We That's think we right. might have to stop it. 
But apparently, yeah. So apparently, didn't they truck in some more fuel? Yeah, they got they got them across somehow. So this was before the, the tunnel. And probably part of the reason why the tunnel under the chase was built the <laughs> following year <laughs> to prevent any such repeat. It's funny. The yeah. more we talk about the twelve hour, the things that we think about from its history, and we're looking forward to the twenty twenty race with the coverage on Fox and Seven. Uh, Crazy, of course, is leading the way again on the coverage. It wouldn't be a Bathurst twelve hour without. Richard Crail involved. He's editing and contributing to our book. He's going to write all the chapters of the years, and uh, he's got great insight to the event. Well, the perfect person to, write, to oh, do all that. Totally. I mean, for anyone better. He's called it in the commentary box for so many years. He was the PR guy and the track commentator prior to that. He's been there and seen it all. He was there the day that Len Cave barrel-rolled a Mazda 3 oh. through the chase in probably the biggest crash in 12-hour history. If you haven't seen it, go yeah. and see it. The engine launches out of the front of the car and comes to rest 10 metres away, exiting the chase after I lost track after about 10, 10 rolls, I think he did, mm. going through the chase. And again, that was in the period of the Prodi car era where the race wasn't live broadcast. It mm. was filmed by um, Black Magic, put it together in Sydney, uh, Paul Mullen, who, who ran that, who was my first producer when I started yeah. doing the supports on TV on Channel 7. So that's how the link came for me to do mm. those events for Paul. But it went on the news everywhere that night. Yes, so it did. I reckon that the the post-produced hour or two or three-hour coverage or whatever it was in the weeks that followed probably got more eyeballs because <laughs> of that shunt. Everyone knew what was going to come. It's weird when you have to commentate a race a couple of weeks later and you know it's going to happen and you have to sound excited or interested. But it was hard not to be excited <laughs> yeah. about that crash. I'm not excited, but to really get up in the rev to, range yeah. because it was unbelievably huge. Um, I think the other thing that sticks in my mind in the GT era is the gun international drivers, I alluded mm. to it at the start of the podcast, that have come to Bathurst because the 12-hour exists and they race these types of cars. If we didn't have this race, and if it wasn't a GT race, we'd never get to see all sorts of names come and do this race. Who's your top three or four names that stick out? Well, a guy like Katsumasa Chio, Chio-san, we wouldn't know who he was in Australia. No, Because he would never. Have never had a reason to come here. And he's probably the biggest cult hero the 12 hours produced because he basically turns up, he's he's a little guy, he's really, like, softly spoken, very polite, really nice guy, and he gets into a race car and grows warrior. horn and just... just warrior, just, yeah. absolute warrior. Like, 120% commitment every time he's in the race car. And it helped, too, that he was driving a Nissan GTR mm. because the GTR has Bathurst and Australian motor racing history, yeah. albeit it's a very different car, the GT or a car to the Group A car of the 90s. But there was almost a little bit of a connection. Nissan obviously were in supercars at the time, so they had a, an, a local motorsport presence and connection and history. So that probably helped. But what also helped is the fact that he lit the afterburners and blew them all away <laughs> in the last couple of laps of the 2015 race. He blew one away on the restart at mm. going across the line where we all thought, oh, has he gone too early? <laughs> yeah. Then he pulls out and steamrolls the Bentley going up Mountain Straight and says, see ya, <laughs> and wins the race in stunning form. It was, it was awesome. So... He's made a name for himself in our world of Australia because of what he did here. But who are the ones who were the big names before they even came here for the oh, tour? Guys like Bernd Schneider. It was great to see him come out to Australia. I know he raced at Homebush in 2012. but Not the same. It's not the, no, it's not the same. And keeping in mind, he was supposed to do the 1,000 back in the day. Um, with Alan, Alan Moffat, but, Sierras, yeah, but got himself an F1 drive instead. That's a good excuse, yeah. but it was in a shit box, to be honest. Was it the Zach Speed? Nah, it was the Arrows. Oh, the Arrows. At that point, yeah, which is an box, even bigger so. shit box. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, guys like Mikasalo, seeing yeah. Tony Villander, yeah, the, the flying fins, yeah. Um, 
I think I mean we've we've probably had guys like Christopher Meese, who's been a regular yeah. over the years. He's a a star of GT, but what he's done at Twelve Hours helped elevate him around the world and to be known in Australia well, too. He's the outright lap record holder at yeah, Bathurst. Yeah, um, we've seen a range of different drivers that we never thought we'd see. The Bentley boys, the Bentley guy Smith, the, yeah, long twenty four hour yeah. winner. You know, a guy who's been there and done it all. Mm. Uh, it's helped forge some names. I, I think you know someone like. Um, Winkle, Marcus Winklehock. Mm. So, you know, the Winklehock name's known. Smoking Joe race the Diet yeah. car with Paul Morris. The Winklehock name's known from his touring car exploits and um, Manfred, like Winklehock Manfred Winklehock as well. Yes. Of course, he passed away. So there's just so many names and cars and connections that you think, oh, wow, that mm. is really cool that, I mean, for example, Schnitzer. Oh, absolutely! Come back yeah. to Bathurst racing the the BMW that Chaz Mostert's re- driven in. Yeah, um, a guy previous like years. a guy like Pierre Dudonay, who mm. think back to the 2018 race, the Audi that won that, he was running that team. WRT. Yeah, yeah. The guy, uh, the guy who won who won the Bathurst 1000 for five weeks. Yeah, and got scrubbed yes. from the Texaco Forge Sierra uh, World Touring Car Championship years. There's so many drivers and stories of interest but we can't fit them all into the podcast naturally mm. they're all in the book though they all are. those cars are in the book uh, and you can flick your way back through i mean louder matthias louder oh, Nicky's course, son. Yeah. remember that he did the the 12 hour in, in an audi and then in a ferrari yeah. as well he helped will davison get a ride in the 12 hour well he did and will davison went and rewarded that with a 720 across the top of the mountain how good was i that? don't know how he did let's <laughs> go look that one up online yeah. that was the best Save that wasn't a save that was a save that you'll <laughs> you'll ever see. And one major name that raced in the twelve hour, both in the Proddy era and the GT era, but he's not known. He's probably the most famous person to ever race in the twelve hour. Yeah, I, I think I see where, where you're going, going going with this. Pointer, sweet mate. Pointer, sweet. <laughs> Eric Banner. Yeah, uh, yeah. Everyone forgets that. Yeah, he drove a Lancer which I think got smashed into heavily at the top of the mountain. Mm. Uh, and I think he was in a Lambo some years later, was he not? Sounds about right. Yeah. So uh, can I tell you my Eric Banner 12-hour story? Of course. So in the production car era when he was in that Lancer, on the Saturday afternoon there was a ride session and I was lined up. I've never, ever, before, then or since, done a hot lap of Mount Panorama or anything. It's pretty rare to be able to do it. Well, you think to the 1,000, they don't do no, rides no, not like anymore. at other supercar rounds and stuff mm. like that. I've been really lucky to go for rides at other tracks and other cars. So the producers of the 12 out at the time said, hey, how about you do a lap? We'll put you in a car. Great. You're not saying who, no to that. Who is it? What is it? It's Banner in the Mitsubishi. Okay. I'm okay with <laughs> Definitely that. Definitely not saying he, no to he that. He doesn't have heaps of experience here, but he's not going to do anything silly. Yeah. So we jump in the car. We get kitted up, suited, booted, helmeted, all that. It's late Saturday afternoon. We're driving down the pit lane. And I'm thinking, and he said to me, I'm just going to take it easy. It's going to be all good. You're all good. Yep, yep, no worries. All good, all good. And we're just getting to the edge of the pit lane. And a marshal, an official appears off the pit wall, stands in front of us and directs us to turn left back around into the pits. The session has been called early. You're kidding. I've just missed my lap of the mountain with Pointer <laughs> and I'm pissed. I was so full gutted. I mean, I know it's not a supercar or a GT car, but it's a it's high-performance a of car of Bathurst. With Eric Banner. With Eric. And <laughs> I think he was just oh, – I looked over and he went, sorry, mate. Oh, I was 
It's the, not the first time I've been screwed. Oh, really? From a hot lap of a classic track. Hmm. Go on. I guess Do I have tell. to tell the story. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> way back when, in the, I think we're talking about 2003, 4, 5, I went to Europe and England and Germany, and I spent some time with Alex Davison, who was driving um, German Carrera Cup and Super Cup. He was very much in the Porsche family, and, he, and I stayed at his place with him, and he said, let's go to the Nordschleifer. <laughs> Again, not yeah, saying no. Okay. Yeah. So I think he had a Porsche Boxster or something like that. He said, well, it was two-hour drive, something. I said, look, I'll pay for the fuel to get there for the day and go <laughs> home. You drive the lap, and, and we're we'll doing a lap of the Nürburgring. <laughs> How cool is this? This is Oh, this yeah. is awesome. Because for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, you can just rock up to the yeah. Nürburgring, pay your money, pay your money and, and go. go do a lap in whatever you're yeah. in. We rolled in there and there were cars, and I know we've slightly steered off the 12-hour ship, but it's a story and I've never told it, so it's quite funny. Mm. Uh, there were race cars on trailers in the car park. <laughs> there was guys with Alfa Romeo 75 Group A touring cars. What? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess they got to be somewhere. Road cars, all sorts of stuff. We got again. So this is why when it happened at Bathurst, I instantly thought of this trip. <laughs> We're in the car. We've paid our 11 euro, whatever it was at the mm. time. Alex has got his driving gloves on. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. Albert's he good hasn't to go. busted out the helmet, Yeah, has yeah. He? He's like, I'm not going to do anything silly, but you've got to watch out for all the idiots out there because yeah, there's crashes totally, on that yeah. track all the time yeah. during the day. Again, cars go, cars go, boom gate down, boom gate up, boom gate down, stays down. You're shitting me. What's going on here? He's talking to some guy in German at the window. And Alex is really fluent in German. I had no idea. Hmm. He said the track's shut. I said, you what? He said, um, there's been too many crashes out there, they just said, and they're shutting it down. Because I think about a week or so later, the European Grand Prix was on on the regular Nürburgring uh, track. Okay. And, of course, that is all in the same precinct. Hmm. So they just went, no, can it? Shut it down. So we drove four-hour, five-hour round trip to get to the gate, <laughs> paid me money, didn't get a refund, and okay. could not go. So I've been screwed twice for hot laps of the two, probably two of the best tracks in the world. Yeah. Yeah, oh. I don't know what to say to that. That's, it that's, hurts. That's sucks. It hurts so much. It hurts so much. But, yeah, anyway. One day. Yeah, one, one day. day. Um, one of the other topics we discussed before we came <laughs> back on Back to spot, the 12-hour. Yeah, anyway, back at the 12-hour, yeah. uh, digress about my violin pity story. <laughs> one of the things that sprung out when we looked at this and when we've been putting together the content for our book for the, the GT era, there's always cars that never make the grid. Mm. Given the volume of cars that enter the 12-hour and I guess the differing differing performance levels of those cars and the differing performance and skill levels of the drivers. I guess it's no surprise that there's the odd crash in the lead-up, but sometimes the volume of cars that get bent badly enough it's that they multiples. can't make the race. Like, was it 2015 we lost three on the first morning? Yeah, and I think there was, there's been years where we've lost three or four before we've got to the grid every year. Mm. Last year, Matt Neal didn't get to start. The Audi he was in was in the fence. There was a the Black Swan Porsche well-publicised yeah. at the chase where some fans actually jumped the fence to help um, the driver and put out the fire there. Mm. Uh, the, the year you mentioned, Marinello were the defending champion team in 2015. Mm. Remember, without Craig Lowndes because that was in the middle of the era where – there was a test day on. I was at the super test. You were at the super test. I was at the 12-hour. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the car was crashed on the first day of practice. Mm. And they were out. I think that was the year Ben Collins, the Stig, mm. was part of their lineup with with Tony Delberto. He didn't get to, 
to drive in the 12-hour. Jason Bright crashed an Audi there one year and gave himself a bit of a rattling, and that was out before mm. uh, we got to the Sunday race. So it's not oh, the year after Techno won their number one car. Yeah. Missed the race the following day yeah. after a crash on Saturday morning. Uh, yeah, Will Davis was part of that crew and he missed yeah. out on a, a start in the race as well. So it's a common thread that you might end up having to get your entry list out and put a couple of crosses mm. through a couple of car numbers before uh, we even get to that Sunday morning race start. It's just a bit of a common theme of the 12-hour. Are they pushing too hard too early? Are they on a knife edge with the cars? Is it drivers who aren't familiar with the place perhaps enough to get the job done? I'm not sure. but a combination of all those things. And the amount of cars that are on track as well and the speed differential between them. Yeah. Yeah, Hard to say. Yeah. I tell you, today the the mix of the 12-hour race with the GT era, I mean, looking through the photos for our our new book, and I know I've plugged the book a little bit, but that's the point (laughs) of doing a special edition podcast (laughs) – uh, the mix of manufacturers in the GT era is really cool. There's mm. just a bit of everything, whether it's not just the outright GT3, but there's the GT4 cars, there's been the Invitational cars. The, the Mar- KTM Crossbows. The KTM Crossbows, yeah. the Mark cars. Oh, oh yeah. They, they've been ace. Of course, they're in the news recently with um, Ryan McLeod selling it to a new ownership group to try to take it to whole new levels. But they've regularly run cars in mm. that race across the GT era, which has been fantastic. But then think about the oddities. Think about the weird stuff. We talked about the Fiat 500s, but go back to the Prodi era, and I reckon you've got some famous drivers driving some weird stuff that you just probably have forgotten about. Well, the obvious one that came to both our minds when we were talking, when we were doing a bit of a chat before this podcast was the 92 race where you had Glenn Seaton paired with Colin Bond. Which wasn't the first time they'd paired together. It wasn't. Because they drove the Eastern Creek 500 in the Peter Jackson Sierra. True. But, but it definitely was... wasn't a Peter Jackson Sierra they were driving. <laughs> it was a Saab. I Saab 9,000? 9, 900, 900 Turbo? From yeah. It was Ken Matthews who mm. was, a, who was a the dealer. third driver in the car. He was the third driver. That's a trivia question and a half. I think they finished second, third? They were third. third. And they pitted at the end of the first lap because the brake line was rubbing. <laughs> So they went to the back of the field, which a few cars did that day, and, um, yeah, trucked on without a further problem and came home third. So they came home third. Mm. Second was the BMW M5 mm. of, was that the Nibble, Nibble Nobby's nuts? nuts? Yes. How do you say it again? Nibble Nobby's Nuts. Yeah, I can't say it. Neville I'm Crichton. surprised I did. Yeah, he did well. Yeah. Neville Crichton, Alan Jones, Tony Longhurst. But that car in the the early era of the twelve hour and the prod era really did have the the connection to the 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 five hundred one thousands production era mm. in terms of they drove the cars they, they drove that car from the Gold Coast to <laughs> Bathurst on the road to run it in yeah, yeah. and I think they I think they had the stereo on during the race just so they wouldn't get bored or <laughs> something like that or take I'm sure the, they weren't the only ones I mean no. Brock drove a Volvo once remember that yeah the eight fifty yeah. turbo. With the wood drain dashboard? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of wood drain dashboards, the Maserati Shamal that was in the same race. Oh, The Falcon yes. car. Yeah. Which I think is still kicking around as well. I'd love to. Oh. The, GT, the GTR that they had the year before certainly is. That is. Oh, you've got us on a, a new little thing here. 12-hour mm. sleuth. <laughs> we need to find some of these cars. We want to hear about it. If you've oh, got we've a- already located one. Bondi has one. Oh, Colin Bond, Bond. Bondi's got an MR2. Yeah. Now, we did a podcast with Colin in Series 1 last year. If you haven't heard it, jump back through our back catalogue and have a listen because we talked about 
mainly his Holden dealer team era to celebrate 50th anniversary of Holden Factory Racing. We covered off a bit of the Ford stuff. We covered off a little bit of the rallying. Um, but yeah, he's got it. When I, we did it at his house in Sydney, hmm. and he said, Oh, I've got a, a Bathurst car in the shed. <laughs> What do you mean, Bobby? Do you just? It's a 12-hour MR2. It's not the car he drove. Remember, he had a Keltex mm. car in the first year, I think yeah. it was. Uh, this is a ladder car from um, the years gone by. Needs a little bit of work, a little bit of love, but it's a, it's the real deal. It's one of the, the if, MR2s. If it's the one I think it is, it's the car that won the class in 93. It's with blue. Yeah, with, mm. I think, Peter McKay, one of the Bates twins, probably Neil, and Juan Manuel Fangio the second. Yeah, who who featured in some of the commercials at the time that Toyota mm. ran that they filmed at Bathurst mm. as well. But uh, there's so many cars we'd love to know where they ended up from the 12 hour GT era, Prodi car era. If you know someone that's got one, get in touch yeah. by the website. We'd love to hear about it and talk about it in an upcoming episode or a story on the website or or similar. You mentioned the Falcon Nissan GTR. Yes, that was the pace car. For the 1992 Bathurst 1000. Oh, was it? I yeah. didn't realise that. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, um, part of the driving lineup in that Falcon era was Bill Gillespie, who mm. is really prominent now at Hino Trucks, who, of course, are a big sponsor ah. of supercars racing and is around at the tracks a fair bit. And uh, Hino support the Supercar Media Awards as mm. well. So there's all these little connections. They had a Commodore Group ASS mm. before the Nissan, before the Maserati. And I remember that 12 hour last year, I spoke to Bill about this, that car was stolen and never recovered from memory. Oh, really? Yeah, so there's there's one of those 12 hour cars that has sadly disappeared into the ether. But there's plenty and of a, them a around. race leading 12 hour car as yeah, well. Yeah, that led the race till it sheared the wheel, wheel nuts off. That, that'll do it. Yeah. But we'd love to hear about 12 hour cars. If you've got an old Prodi car sitting in the shed that did the race in the 90s or the, the noughties, or you might even have a GT car. Mm. Who knows? You might have something that's a little bit unique in Bathurst 12 hour race history. Our book's going to also cover not just the non-starting cars, but the replacement cars. Been a couple of years where teams have replaced cars. Oh yeah. Before the race, the Sharons with one of their BMW production cars did it. Uh, a couple of years ago, the Wall Racing team swapped Lamborghinis. The yellow, uh, in effect, a trophy class car mm. was swapped out. That John Bowers part of the driving lineup for a, another car that was inserted for the race, where everyone approved. It yeah. happening. So we'll have photos of all of those cars <laughs> that either did or didn't uh, line up on the grid. Uh, it's been a pile of work, but we've got some awesome photos. Um, Andrew Hall, awesome photographer. Dirk mm. Kleinsmith, guys who've been around a long, long time. We're thrilled that their collections are um, part of our library here uh, at our office now. We talked about weird cars. We've talked about famous drivers. I think, though, that there was a point where this race arrived. Mm. And for me... I'm interested in your take. The fight at the end of the 2014 race, Lowndes in the Ferrari, Maxi Book in the HTP white yellow fluoro Mercedes, knock them down, drag them out, fight at the end, weaving in and out of slower cars, uh, gaining, getting away, gaining. Uh, it was a great finish. Of course, Marinello, and there were storylines everywhere, Marinello finally winning after mm. so many years of trying to win that race. Alan Simonson had passed away at Le Mans, I think, yeah. two years prior to that. So Lowndes kind of took his spot, in essence, to be the the the, the anchor relay driver, for want of a better term. Uh, Bow won another Bathurst. Yeah. Uh, Mikasalo <laughs> got a win, and Pete yeah. Edwards, who had stuck a lot of money and time and effort in, had got the win too. But I think that's when the Australian motor racing public took notice. It was covered on SBS. The last few hours were live. Mm. And from that point... 
I think people saw that as a – and there was no other sport on that weekend. It no. rated really strongly, and I think it really got the interest of a lot of people around the place, particularly at supercars, particularly in TV land, particularly around the industry, that, ooh, that's This, a thing. this is a cracking race. This is like, game yeah. on. This is a thing. And, of course, the next year there was the – well, let's call it the war or whatever yeah. it was that – Suddenly, supercar drivers were not permitted. The test was scheduled at Eastern Creek on the same day. Mm. The 12-hour went ahead and was still very successful. And turned on a stunning finish once and again. And then Eastern won. And then, of course, supercars end up acquiring the event and have helped grow it to even newer heights. So, mm. uh, But in my mind, I reckon the 14 race is when it arrived totally and it opened agree. a lot of people's eyes totally as to what agree. it could be as a TV product and from the point of view of a, a business product as well. And you think back the, in the years since, with the exception of the 2018 race, which was um, accident-shortened, every other finish has been a barn burner. The, mm. last, the last hour of all of those races since have been absolute crackers. You've got to be up, though, to watch the first part of the race. If you're, you're at the, the dark, track, yeah. it's sensational when those cars roll around. as It's not quite daybreak, but it's not far away. Mm. Uh, a field of about 40 cars, the majority of them GT3 spec cars. Yeah, there's there's nothing better. And if you can't be there tuning in on TV, I'll be up and about nice and early to make <laughs> sure I don't miss a thing about it. Um, it's been great to go down 12-hour memory lane on our special edition podcast. This is just the start of a mammoth year for us. Our podcast last year was something that started small and grew, well, large-ish. Yeah. We want to grow up bigger and better this year, so make sure that you subscribe Follow us on socials and you know what's coming up. But every Wednesday, we will have a podcast. Of course, Timken are on board. Um, they're a massive supporter of Australian motorsport. They are a giant when it comes to bearings. You've probably got some Timken bearings in your filing cabinet in your office or something. <laughs> you know, they're, they're in it. They're in everything that you don't think of. Mm. Uh, and it's great to have Timken on board with us this year. They'll on board with Australian motorsport in a bunch of other ways this year that you'll see over the course of the year. But we will drop podcasts every Wednesday for 40 weeks in a row from our first one on February 19. And we've already recorded a chat with a very special guest. Shall we Shall we include a little snippet in this? Yeah, do it. Yeah, this yeah. is a little bit. Um, I won't say who it is. Let's just say, heck what's this? I'm excited. <laughs> My first race car that I really owned was was courtesy of the ANZ Bank. And, and a, and a, <laughs> Did and they a know good, that they owned a race a good car? good lie. <laughs> what was the fib? I did pay them back. Um, <laughs> But I managed to, yeah, managed to talk my way. I think it was before the internet, so it wasn't so bad then. So they couldn't search for you. No, couldn't search. So, what, so what, what did you tell them that you were getting the loan for? You, I took the ad out of the trading post and they ended up buying a race car. There he is. Jason Bargwana is our first guest on the V8 Sleuth podcast. Presented by Timken for 2020, we will have a whole pile of pods this year. We'll with uh, sit-down chats with motorsport personalities and industry heavyweights and some lightweights as well. <laughs> uh, classic cars. We'll take a look down memory lane at some of the amazing cars from over the years. Hmm. We'll open it up to Q&A. The fans can ask their questions. Yep. We'll try to answer as many of them as we can. And, of course, we'll review all the supercar rounds along the way throughout the course of the year and whatever else grabs our fancy as we go through 40 weeks of, of podcasts as well. February 19, Wednesday's the first one. It drops with Jason Barguana. In the meantime, before we sign off from this one, go and see the team at the National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama. Their special 
Bathurst 12-hour car exhibition will be running through till uh, Easter when the Bathurst 6-hour is on. If you want to see the race-winning 2019 Porsche, it'll be there until the end of the 2020 event. But otherwise, the replica Audi um, of the replica winner, the Mercedes, the Bentley, the Fiat, the 24-hour winning Monaros, the Melrose Commodore, the RX-7 Mazda, the McLaren, the, the McLaren 650, they'll all be there through to Easter. So make sure you make a trip to Mount Panorama, even if it's not a race weekend, to check out the action. They've been really doing a great job of new exhibitions, um, cars coming in, cars going out. You might think, I've been to the museum before. I've, I've seen everything mm-hmm. that's there. They're changing things regularly. Every couple of months, there's something new coming or oh, going. the immersion room? Oh, the immersion room yeah. is awesome. They've done a great job with that where you can stand in what used to be um, – it's a theatre room, really – but they've gone and shot a whole bunch of material around the circuit last year with some of the cars that are part of the council's collection. The Big Banger, the Bob Morris L34, the Moffat 77 winning Falcon, the uh, Monaro 327, the XRGT Falcon. And you actually sit in there and you are surrounded by vision of the track and going for a lap in some of these cars. It is really Awesome. It's mm. really wow factor stuff. The National Motor Racing Museum, go and see them at Mount Panorama on any trip you make. We will be there throughout the course of the year. And I reckon if we twist his arm hard enough, <laughs> the curator, the guru, Brad Owen, will take us for a guided tour. And I reckon we should do a podcast because I think he's got the best job in Australian motorsport industry, really. A job that we sort of inadvertently helped him get. Well, we we sort of we helped him without helping him. Yeah, we adver- Sorry, I've oversold. You've oversold. Yeah, yeah. There we, was an yeah. advertisement for the position on um, through the council. We thought, wow, that's a great story. Someone might be interested in that. Ran a story on the website, and his brother saw it, told him, hey, that might be a good job for you. Next thing you know, Brad and his family are moving to (laughs) Dallas. So the National Motor Racing Museum has been a cracker with him uh, in there. There's some great cars to to go and see. Uh, This has been a great drive down at Bathurst 12-hour memory lane. As of today, you can now pre-order the new book celebrating 10 years of GT racing, Bathurst Going Global. Mm. Well, when you've got Richard Crail, you've got to go global. It's true. It's he true. is global, after He's all. He's the international voice of the 12-hour. And he is the editor of this new book, which features a photo of every car from every year of the GT era of the 12-hour. That's 2011 to 2020, 10 years in total. Uh, it's set to be a cracker. It'll drop in the middle of the year. Get your pre-order in now. Head to our website, v8sleuth.com.au. We'll go and rest up. February 19, the first podcast with Jason Barguana. 40 podcasts in a row this year. It kicks off Feb 19. Thanks again for joining us on the Bathurst 12-hour special edition V8 Sleuth podcast. Pre-order the book, get in quick, and we'll catch up with you soon. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, And within seconds, you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.